All right, welcome back to another episode of Founder Journeys. Uh, my name is Ray Walia, CEO, founder of uh, Launch Academy, here with Francis Dumet from uh, Metaspectral. Francis has been a OG Launch Academy member. Uh, I think you hear me a lot uh, these years talking about OG members just because we have so many, but Francis is one that's really an OG. He's there for quite a few years building multiple companies. Uh, his office was right next to mine. We got to see each other every day. Uh, a lot of respect for Francis and, and the teams that he's built over the years and the companies that he's built over the years. The latest one is Metaspectral. So Francis, welcome to Founder Journeys. Please tell us, what is Metaspectral? Yeah, thank you for having me, Ray. So Metaspectral's mission is to solve the world's most complex problems using next, next generation sensing. Um, and so one example of that is hyperspectral imaging. These are sensors that gather up to 100 times more information than a conventional camera. And so for that reason, they're about 100 times more complex to handle, um, especially when it comes to data transmission, but also data analysis. So we've built technology, a combination of hardware and software that allows us to analyze this hyperspectral data in milliseconds instead of hours. So very technical, very uh, uh, forward um, type of platform. I've obviously been following you guys for a while and I've seen some of the applications. One of the ones that so you're working with NASA and you're working with a bunch of uh, stuff in space, but the one that really got me excited was uh, the recycling. And, and for those that are familiar, when you're looking at recycling, like uh, differentiating plastic and all this stuff, it's very manual, it's very time consuming and it's not perfect. But with Metaspectral and the image analysis that you're able to provide, it's like, what, like a 10x improvement, if not more? Yeah, so recycling is a very interesting application because there are players that have been in that industry for, for decades. And there's maybe two uh, schools of thought in, in the, in those, within those technology providers. One of them is using infrared technology, which is maybe a subset of hyperspectral. The other one is using conventional cameras, so computer vision, as we know it today. And just to step back, so what is it that the cameras are doing in that recycling process? Yeah. For those that aren't familiar. Yeah, so they're processing essentially consumer waste, moving on a conveyor belt at one to two feet a second, and they're sorting it automatically using air injection or even robots in some cases. And so the cameras are helping the robots or the air injectors identify when to push something off or push something into a different uh, yeah. a bucket or, or whatnot, right? Yeah. How to separate the uh, the recyclables. Yeah, that's right. And then um, as they're doing this sorting, they're also, they can also provide insights into how, how good or bad the quality of your production is or how pure it is, right? Mm -hmm. Since they're, they're also looking at things moving on the belt. Now, the... The technology providers that are using infrared, they just use a a handful of of bands or or a broadband infrared, and it just tells you that this one object is of material type X, for example. Like for, like that like this is a plastic milk jug or milk yeah, container, a plastic milk jug or 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 PET Coke bottle. On the other hand, you have the other guys that are using conventional cameras, um, and they're looking at the shape to essentially determine the material of an object. So they say, this bottle looks like a Coke bottle. I've been trained on, on 
Coke bottles that are all PET. So I'm going to say that this bottle looks like a Coke bottle and it's going to be PET. But um, that's not always accurate. Um, manufacturers often change materials mm-hmm. in packaging. Um, it could be a change in the in the in the bottle um, polymer, or, or it could be the type of the label changes, or even the bottle cap might change. So this is where we come in. And so instead of giving you an inaccurate um, determination of what the material is, we go pixel by pixel, and we t- and we tell you exactly pixel by pixel what what the material is on an object. And so remember the guys using infrared just 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 look at the entire object as a whole and tell you this one object is is a milk jug mm-hmm. and it's HDP. But we go into we take it to the next level and tell you that this is a milk jug, yes, but it also has a label that is maybe uh, polypropylene and the bottle cap is actually a third material like HDPE. And so this allows our customers to define very complex sorting rules downstream. For example, they're able to define things, find rules like if a if they encounter a PET bottle that is wrapped with a label that is covering more than 90% of its surface area, then let's remove that bottle from the stream because that label is going to be very hard to remove mechanically. And once we shred it, it's going to contaminate the stream because the label is made of something else mm-hmm. than the bottle than the bottle's body. Um, so that's one key differentiator for us as we do material identification pixel by pixel. The second major differentiator is that we're able to detect and identify materials and differentiate between materials that are otherwise very hard to detect. Um, we're talking about different types of transparent objects different types of black plastics. Those are all things that look the same to a human sorter. They all look the same to a, a conventional camera, like a conventional RGB camera. And they're also very hard for a conventional infrared system to detect because they're transparent. They don't bring back a lot of signals. So we, we've made significant advances in neural network architectures that allow us to essentially spectrally unmix or untangle signals and determine that there's a, a little transparent object sitting on top of a conveyor belt that has more signal. And so we use AI to essentially find these very faint signatures that give us an idea of, of what, what may be there and what may have otherwise gone unnoticed. So you guys must have a pretty deep data <laughs> uh, database of all this information to uh, uh, benchmark against. Yeah, but the uh, one advantage of our approach though, Ray, is that a single data point for us is a pixel, whereas the conventional AI, conventional computer vision, a single data point is an entire image, right? Yeah. So an object may have 100 pixels, and so that means that we can get away with maybe 100 times less data to train our models. But with that much more accuracy, yes. because you're going right down to the pixel. Right. That's so cool. Uh, and so I can geek out on recycling <laughs> all day here, but that's just one uh, sector that you're able to apply your technology to. We briefly mentioned NASA, Canadian company doing work in space. Uh, those are uh, always things to celebrate. So, so tell us, what is Meta- Metaspectral doing in, in the space race? <laughs> yeah, space race is, is uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool, cool to hear that. So it's been like a dream of mine to do stuff in space. 
Um, I just I I should just um, mention that we were we're we're a subcontractor to an American um, contractor who has the contract with NASA. Um, we Semantics, to, come on! We, but, uh, <laughs> we had to, yeah, it's, it's just it's just the no. The mechanics we do want to clarify uh, that we don't want to put any false information out yeah, there. But uh, it's just the hoops we had to jump through to, yeah. to, to get that opportunity. Um, but we are we are putting a payload together. Uh, it's a hyperspectral imaging payload that we're attaching to the International Space Station. It's going to be up there for six months. And our mission for NASA is to really demonstrate how we can actually derive results in real time from hyperspectral imagery. Um, again, it usually takes hours, days, weeks to process this imagery, and we're going to be demonstrating how we can do it within less than 15 minutes. And when we're talking about, uh, well, what images specifically are we talking about? Is it uh, image of the stars, images back uh, Earth, or? Yeah, um, no, yeah, it's uh, images of the Earth. Looking back um, at Earth. Yeah, so the the payload is going to be pointed um at Nader, which is essentially down down to the Earth, and um, we'll be looking at things. Um, it doesn't the the mission is not so much about what we're looking at, but it's more about how fast moving up the technology and showing the processing. Yeah, speed. yeah. How fast can we can we implement the data pipeline? Um, but yeah, our our partner with this project is um, uh, High Speed Computing um, out of Florida, and and their their expertise is, is in the marine environment. So they're going to be doing a lot of Analysis with with algae and things like that. Again, very important subject matters for us to uh, be as knowledgeable as possible moving into the future with uh, climate change and, right. and uh, the changes in the in the planet. This is a really cool sector that you're in. How did you get into this? Like, what is Francis's uh, founder journey? Like, how did you get down this path to um, metaspectral? Yeah, well, when I was first. Um, well, it, when when um, I was getting ready to um, go on the next chapter of my life, I guess I I met my my co-founder, my co-founder Miguel, um, who was fresh off the press with his PhD in AI and um, had this cool idea of how to better compress data um, using AI because any of the algorithms that we know of, like JPEG and um, at, MPEG for video, they basically use um, the same hard-coded formula for every every image. And so Miguel's insight was, well, why can't we tailor this compression formula to every every input? So we get a, a, a much more performant algorithm depending on whether the image is a landscape or a, or a portrait, for example. So we did that, and and we ended up developing an AI powered version of JPEG that we were trying to market as ways to accelerate websites and accelerate mobile applications. But around that time, our first customer happened to be in the agricultural space. Um, they were doing a lot with infrared technology uh, to measure and monitor how plants react to different types of pesticides, uh, and so that kind of opened up our eyes to that whole market and. Um, we really found that um, the 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 problem was an order of magnitude more important for infrared imaging than it was for conventional imagery like JPEGs and whatnot. And so we made a 180 degree shift to that industry, and then gradually we started going up the value chain and doing more on the application side. So now data compression uh, is one piece of the puzzle that allows us to do what we're doing. So we're all about real-time analysis of hyperspectral imaging, 
but then we've also made significant advances on the uh, AI side of data processing that allow us to do what we do. Hello, fellow tech startup founders. I just want to quickly interrupt this episode to tell you about us at launch. If you're looking for a community to help you take your business to the next level, consider joining our Launchpad program. As a member, you'll get access to investor connections, programming, workshops, mentorship, and over $400,000 worth of perks. Also, don't forget to check out our other podcasts, Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes, for expert advice and stories from the tech community in Vancouver and around the world. Visit launchacademy.ca to learn more and start building your dream business today. That's launchacademy.ca. Let me take a moment to shout out our longtime sponsor, Smythe. They are a leading independent BC-based accounting firm specializing in providing financial services and consulting for tech companies across North America. Smythe has supported our program and our alumni throughout their early growth stages by helping them structure and set up their businesses, all the way to helping more established businesses with cross-border operations and M&A. They combine industry knowledge with a proactive, collaborative approach, empowering you to make more informed decisions as your business grows. So if you're looking for a trusted partner to help you drive your business to success, reach out to one of our Launch Academy's longtime mentors, Camelia Ho, for more information about how Smythe can support your growth. You can find Camelia's information on Smythe's website at smythecpa.com. That's S-M-Y-T-H-E-C-P-A.com, along with more information about the various industries they support and the services they provide. So it was that initial compression technology that got you down this path. And for our listeners that are uh, uh, geeks like me and uh, remember Silicon Valley, the uh, TV series, <laughs> Pied Piper, yeah. data compression, JPEGs, yeah. uh, you were known as the Pied <laughs> Piper of the real world. And that company is called Compression.ai. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, obviously I know this because they were at Launch Academy and, <laughs> and that was also, it was, it was fun, but it was also cool. Like, no, we have a real life Pied Piper uh, <laughs> building that technology and it's actually doing great things. And Obviously, that's morphed into so much more with Metaspectral. But uh, as you quickly alluded to, like that's when you met Miguel, uh, your co-founder. So you got a, a team that's been built here. That's two of you as co-founders, but your team's like what, 12, 15 people now. Yeah. Uh, but you said that was an, when you're ready to start the next part of your life. Be- prior to that, you were a solo founder. So maybe let's dive into what were you doing as a solo founder and what are the stark differences of being a solo founder to a um, co-founder? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I started my previous company um, all by myself, and um, I guess I I did so at the time because I figured that I had all the skills required for for that company. It was a mobile first company who were building next generation push notifications for mobile operators, and um, it uh, yeah it it went well for 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 a few years. Um, the solo founder. It, it was challenging being a solo founder um, because all startups go through ups and downs, and I think as a solo founder, those ups and downs are uh, exaggerated when you're a solo founder because, yeah, you, you have just no you in an echo chamber, and it's just things yeah. going through your head over and over and, and multiplying. Yeah, so the highs are way higher and the lows are way lower because there's no one to ground you when there's when you have a high, and there's no one to you know uh, console you, I guess, when when things hit. The fan. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, it's, uh, yeah. And then there's on the, when, when you go raising funds as well, there's, you also have to explain to investors why you're a solo founder. No one likes that. 
So I would definitely recommend uh, being, yeah. One what, what of the biggest two. challenges that uh, uh, comes up from an investor's perspective of solo founders is the question of um, people automatically think it's, oh, it's, it's the workload. It's not so much the workload. It's like, okay, for you as an individual, why have you not been able to attract other people around you or people to join your cause and 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 really chime in on this because that shows a sign of validation. If you get a third party to come in and drop everything they're doing to join your journey and path, well, that's some validation that other people are believing in this and, and it mitigates risk. But uh, again, as a solo founder, sometimes you want that autonomy. You want to be able to just do it on your own. You don't. You think you can move faster on your own. But uh, now having lived both sides of the table, what is this, the the advantages of having a co-founder, and where are the challenges? Yeah, well, the advantages are are first and foremost for founders' um, sanity. I think, like mental health, like having just someone someone there to, you know, talk about the ups and downs. That that helps a lot. And then, obviously, for um, just strategy, business strategy, bouncing ideas off off one another. Um, you both want the same thing at the company, and so you know you're um, you, you're both invested in, or you both have like a material vested interest in the company, and so um, yeah, there's there's always the opportunity to um, have a dissenting opinion for better or for worse, like right right whenever you want it, which is which helps a lot, um, and then. Ideally, your co-founder has complementary skills to to you. Um, otherwise, it probably wouldn't be a, a good relationship, like a like in a marriage, I should say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, find um, having having um, having a partner, having a part, essentially a life partner um, that has complementary skills and and you know with with which you're gonna invest about ten years in your life, you know, in this in this. Um, and this journey is something very valuable. And then uh, flip side again, having been a solo founder and now in a, in a co-founder situation, what are some of the things that you miss about being a solo founder? <laughs> Obviously speed, like being able to move faster. You don't need to double check with somebody, but as we just said, sometimes double check with somebody is, is that grounding that you need. But uh, what are some of the things that you were able to do as a solo founder that uh, aren't as easy in a co-founder relationship? Yeah, I mean things at the strategy level, um, direction of the company, what to build, um, even even hiring, right? So, um, being a solo founder is like being a dictator. Um, you can do whatever you want without asking anybody. Um, but uh, having a co-founder is probably a much more sane relationship. Um, if you have a board in your in your company, then that's how you know every company works. You. you to make major strategy decisions um, um, through your board. If you don't have a board yet, like, the board is basically you and your co-founder, even if it's informal. Um, and like any democracy, it it slows things down, um, but uh, you know for the better usually. Cool. Now, now moving off of actual co-founder relationships, just the journey of building a startup on its own. You've you've built multiple companies now and, and all various levels of success and I've I've seen you go through the ups and downs. What are some of the tactics that you've developed over the years to help you through those ups and downs for you personally? 
Yeah. Um, I would say it's very important to maintain a, a routine as a founder because um, if it's, it's very easy to, very easy to like uh, to slip and, um, you know, get too invested into the topic of the day. And that could be, a, that could be a, a positive topic or, or a negative topic. It could be, it could be a new contract. You have to, you know, get out the door, or or it could be, you know, a, a contract you lost. But it, but if if as a founder you have a routine, and um, and by routine I don't necessarily mean like a nine to five job, but at least if you have certain things you want to get done every day, um, like you know you want to work out thirty minutes a day, or you want to you want to you know spend half an hour reading a book, or you know just things that you know keep you sane. Um, is very important to have as a high priority. It kind of instills a sort of sort of discipline um, it, that um, helps you as a founder uh, not not dedicate 100% to your startup, and that is a good thing. You 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 um, as a founder, you want to give yourself to your startup, but um, after a certain beyond a certain a certain level, um, you're just doing doing damage to yourself. So working nights and weekends is totally fine uh, as long as you you keep a few things um, in your routine that 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 keep you sane. And, and as a seasoned serial entrepreneur, what are some of the things that uh, you wish more entrepreneurs talked about openly back when uh, you were just starting out? Like it, this is our chance. This is one of the reasons we have founder journeys. Is we want to talk about those those taboo topics that a lot of entrepreneurs don't talk about. But yeah. we as entrepreneurs wish like, why did people not talk about that more openly when I was starting out? Uh, yeah. Cause it's that reality. Like you realize you are not on your Island by yourself. There are other entrepreneurs going through the same challenges and problems that you are. Like yeah. what are some of the challenges and problems that you wish people talked about more openly? Yeah. Um, so the, the reality of startup life, like, when I started my first company, you know, it was, it was like a, um, it was like a, what's the word? Um, you know, I thought I was like going into like a, like an El Dorado, like I'm going to be living, you know, the nice life because that's just what I read on TechCrunch. Like you build a company and three months later you get funded and then, you know, Fast forward five years, you sell your company, right? <laughs> that's just the paint. The, that's just the picture TechCrunch paints, yeah. right? But the reality is not that; it's far from that. Um, you know, I thought when I started my first company that oh, it took two years to generate revenue, like that's a big deal. But after you talk to people and that that no, like that it's that's actually good if you generate revenue after two years, and it takes some companies five, six, seven years to start generating revenue, depending on what they're building. Um, and so there is no, first of all, there is no, like you know, rule set in stone that with with certain metrics that you have to do X by Y uh, time period. Um, one thing that I did appreciate a lot when I was doing my first startup was um, here in Vancouver. I forget who was organizing it, but it was something along the lines of um, called something like like fuck up nights or something like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I forget who was organizing it, but I remember I remember a session very vividly by I think it was Jay Taylor's Par- Boris Mann uh, that set those up. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember a session. I think it was Jay Jay, Jay Parmar yep. from Picketake. Yeah, and his he's a great guy and he great great talker, but yeah, he got real really quickly, and I didn't realize how. Uh, how many times like Picketick almost blew up, um, and he just got back on his feet and and you know every time he would just kind of recover and then you know now there's a success story you know having sold to Eventbrite, but I think we need more of these stories right to keep it real because um, otherwise first time founders especially you know think they they need to abide by certain certain metrics and KPIs and they don't reach them. They, you know, they start thinking they might doing something wrong. Maybe yep. thinking that they, they might not be worthy. The imposter syndrome starts creeping in. It's like, okay, what am I actually doing here? Why am I um, getting up every morning, dedicating all my time and energy and my money to this uh, fleeting idea that I have? Yeah. But uh, like one of the things I always said at Launch Academy is misery loves company, and the reason we 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 try to make sure people are surrounding themselves with fellow entrepreneurs, especially ones kind of going through the same challenges and problems that you are is because that's the best person to learn from. Bringing in a mentor is great, but having a mentor that um, did something 10 years ago is very different conversation and very different type of education than you get from somebody that is a fellow entrepreneur that just went through those same challenges six months ago uh, because it's more timely, but it's also somebody that you can connect with right away or even sitting side by side with people that are, banging their head against the wall trying to figure out how to get revenue or how to get product market fit uh, just as you are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, how do you, outside of your team, spend time connecting with fellow entrepreneurs? Um, it's been harder since the pandemic, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Launch Academy was a great space when we were there. Um, there were always people building new stuff, and we would go out on lunches and meet people and you know build relationships that way. Um, since the pandemic, we've all been working from home, and beyond our 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 circle, which are you know the co-founders and then our 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 immediate investor circle, it's been really hard to to meet other founders. Um, we did go through a couple you know acceleration programs, and we we did meet that way um, one of our current investors hosts periodic uh, founder retreats um, and that has been good mm-hmm. uh, to meet to meet people um, and we have also whatsapp groups and slack groups that help us communicate and uh, kind of exchange ideas and, and, and questions when they arise yeah it's that human connection that really makes a difference though right like talking to somebody via text or, or yeah. zoom is is great, but when you meet meet somebody in person, those founder retreats I find are um, it, it seems like it's oh it's just a uh, a gimmick by the VCs. It's just them kind of uh, giving back to their portfolio. But uh, once people go and they come back, they're like, wow, that was actually really good. Like getting to kind of sit down with fellow entrepreneurs uh, in this environment and and having our VCs there showing us the resources they have. It's it's a great experience. Maybe just share what that experience looks like for the people that haven't had a, a privilege yet. Yeah, so um, yeah, the VC kind of brings together their founders once a year. It's not always the same founders, at least in our case, because they're just too many. Um, but I think they they send invitations to those who haven't been in a while. 
and um, and they and they show up and they spend usually two or three days, I think two days, two days offsite, and there's there's programming, um, getting to know one another through certain exercises, like for example, like you break out into small groups and each one kind of you know gets really personal with the other people. Um, Kind of like a mini fuck up night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what have I fucked up on this week? <laughs> yeah. One thing that, or, or one, one, uh, one approach, I guess that helped that, that was really great was, um, going around the circle and, and, um, each one would tell moments, defining moments in their lives that define them as a person. So it could be things anywhere from your childhood all the way up to now, but the kind of uh, things and events that define who you are as a person. And that really helps getting to know, your your fellow founders and sometimes it gives you insights into kind of you know how they're what they're building today and what motivates them what what is their passion um and um and then there are also breakouts specific to topics that may be um that may be of importance to you now so if you're if you care more about fundraising, there's a special fundraising breakout with you know some special speaker or how to how to build a how to build culture was an an important one in this day and age post post pandemic. How do we do that remotely? Something that was really important, um, but also it gives you an opportunity to talk to your peers who are in that similar situation and kind of brainstorm ideas. Yeah. So all in all, very valuable experience for you and your team. Oh, was it the team or just you or you and your co-founder? Who who gets invited to these? Um, um, usually founders. Um, I think they try to do it once, uh, one one founder per first per per year. Yeah, and so you may not be there next year, but uh, there's an opportunity for Miguel to go there or vice right. versa. Right. Yeah. This has been a really insightful conversation. I'm going to drop off with the two last questions. One is uh, what can we expect from Metaspectral in, in in the near future, uh, and then the last one is uh, some parting advice that you'd like to give to the audience of uh, uh, as they go down their own founder journey. <laughs> yeah, um, so Metaspectral, um, we were so there's one market event that is really exciting that is happening, and that is that there are a handful of companies, maybe five or six different companies that are putting commercially available hyperspectral sensors in in orbit um, as we speak. So this time next year, there's going to be quite a large uh, supply of hyperspectral imagery for us to start consuming. And um, historically, it's been really hard to analyze this data. Um, everyone that we've wanted to use hyperspectral data have told us that they don't have the expertise, they don't have a PhD on staff. So Metaspectral is really positioning itself as like being being the go-to software for analyzing this kind of data using AI. We're really trying to make hyperspectral data more accessible. Um, so in the near future, um, you know, hopefully you'll see more applications of hyperspectral imagery from space using models built and trained uh, through Metaspectral software. Super cool. <laughs> the data just keeps coming, and 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 yeah. what you can do with that data is going to be uh, uh, very transforming, right? Um, and yeah, especially since um, the software that we're we're building, we've we've designed it 
to make it easy for anyone with or without a technical background to train these AI models. And so, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully you guys even can start uh, maybe training new, new, uh, new models to detect things you never thought. That's actually a third question I'll throw out there. So who has surprised you? Who's somebody that came along or you see using your technology that you're like, oh, I never would have imagined somebody using our tech in that way? Yeah, uh, the Navy. The so, Navy? Yeah, okay. they're looking to use our technology to look at paint and anti-fouling on Navy vessels. Um, because if that coating is misapplied, if there's pockets of air inside, um, then that's a recipe for disaster. It's going to induce corrosion, and corrosion is like cancer. It spreads like super quickly. So they want to be able to detect these um, uh, inconsistencies um, at the time that the paint's paint's being applicated so they can fix it before corrosion starts. So while the, the ships are in dry dock getting repainted, they're doing a spectral analysis uh, right. uh, before they are uh, put back in the ocean. Yep, exactly. That's cool. Yep. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And, and okay, now uh, your parting advice for our founder, uh, fledging founders on uh, the podcast. The most important thing is to work on something that um, you're passionate about. Um, because, yeah, I mean, starting a company is not easy. And Working on something that that you're passionate about will essentially help you or make you keep going um, during those uh, those hard moments. Yeah, and there will be a lot of them, a yeah. lot of ups and downs. But uh, the the good thing is there are a lot of ups too, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> awesome, Brett. This has been an awesome conversation. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Founder Journey, and we look forward to seeing all the amazing things coming from Metaspectral. Thanks for having me, Ray. Hey there, fellow tech startup founders. This episode of Founder Journey was brought to you by Launch Academy. If you're looking for a community that can help you take your business to the next level, look no further than our Launchpad program. As a Launchpad member, you'll have access to everything you need to succeed, including investor connections, year-round programming, workshops, offline socials, mentorship office hours, and over $400,000 worth of perks. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale, we have the resources and support you need to achieve your goals. But that's not all. At Launch Academy, we also have two amazing podcasts that you can check out, Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes. At Launch AMA, we bring in industry experts to answer your burning questions about entrepreneurship, fundraising, marketing, and more. It's a great way to stay on top of the latest trends and learn from those who have been there before. And on Bits and Bytes, we highlight the tech community of Vancouver, sharing stories of innovation and success from people who are driving the industry forward. It's a great way to stay informed about the local tech scene and connect with other like-minded individuals. So why wait? Join Launchpad today and start building the business of your dreams. Visit launchacademy.ca to learn more about our programs and how we can help you achieve your goals. And don't forget to tune into Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes for even more great content. Visit launchacademy.ca.